Hi and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, Big Data Edition. This week we're covering L3C's AI in Action event from the Royal Institute in London. This event had some fantastic customers, partners and vendors speaking. So sit back and enjoy. Thanks everyone. And um, just to answer your question, Jamal, so in the UK, uh, yes, the GDPR is currently binding. Uh, obviously, we've got Brexit uh, to, to take into account as well, but uh, there's a, a new thing called the Data Protection Act, nine, uh, sorry, 2018, uh, which actually incorporates it all anyway, so notwithstanding. Oh, humor. Oh, right now. <coughs> yeah, um, being a lawyer, I don't understand humor, so... Um, um, Thank you. Um, thanks, uh, Jerry and uh, L3C, for inviting me to speak today. Uh, and they've asked me to talk to you uh, in particular about legal issues in artificial intelligence. Um, so it's quite a wide brief. Um, I think maybe, um, first of all, if I introduce myself, so uh, Chris Eastham, I'm actually a director in the, uh, the technology outsourcing and privacy team uh, at Field Fisher. Uh, we are a, a leading technology law firm. We have 20 officers. Um, Mainly in Europe, we're headquartered in London, uh, but also in Palo Alto um, to work with those who are uh, inwardly investing into Europe uh, and also in, uh, in China as well. Um, my background, uh, I started out as a physicist, uh, interestingly enough, um, specializing in uh, space science and technology, and I, my thesis was around autonomous navigation systems for planetary exploration. Uh, but then I turned to the dark side and uh, became a lawyer. Um, but I've retained that interest in technology and all things, uh, all things tech, uh, hence why I'm here. Uh, and so my practice now uh, is largely around emerging technologies, particularly artificial intelligence. Uh, and so advising from the very largest organizations, uh, you know, for ex the big four, for example, on their AI strategy and how to become market leaders in implementing AI, uh, but also uh, advising smaller scale-ups uh, and, uh, and earlier stage companies uh, in order to roll out their, their products and how to engage with the market um, in a sensible way. <clears throat> so, uh, so thank you to Armando. I, I know that you, um, you said we should have more lawyers in the room. Well, you've got one. Um, but we, we should be talking about legal issues and, and the political issues. Um, I think that's probably what I'm going to focus on today, actually. Um, I could talk about the procurement challenges for big organizations going out looking to embed um, smart technologies in their infrastructure and the, the kind of challenges that they face. Um, but actually, when it comes to implementing AI, I think we've got some more fundamental uh, questions that we need to answer um, as a society, <clears throat> particularly around uh, ethical issues. So um, maybe if I start by telling you about uh, a recent um, development. So on April the 16th of this year, uh, the House of Lords uh, published a paper suggesting five principles for AI. Now, this was helpful, uh, but with all due respect to their lordships, um, I felt that for this context, it made sense to put more of a focus on the AI uh, rather than on society. And so I've reformulated them a little bit, so you'll have to forgive me uh, for putting my interpretation on top of these. Um, so the first one is that artificial intelligence ought to be trustworthy, intelligible, and fair, and I'll come back to this. AI should not be used to diminish the rights of individuals, families, or communities, uh, and in particular, we've, uh, we've talked about privacy rights already today. It should enable all citizens to flourish mentally, emotionally, and economically 
uh, alongside AI. And I've used words um, integrative and complementary here. Uh, and the reason I chose those is because it reflects my view that AI should work in combination with human intelligence uh, in order to form an effective system, each enhancing the qualities of the other. The autonomous power to hurt, destroy, or deceive human, uh, human beings should never be vested in an artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence should be developed for the common good uh, and the benefit of humanity. Now, you'll probably realize that these are quite aspirational and quite forward-looking. Um, and therefore, we need to think about actually what's relevant today. Well, the most common, uh, sorry, the most relevant um, uh, of these to the narrow AI that we seem to be looking at, and actually the ones which are currently regulated, are around trustworthiness and around supportive of human rights. We could talk all day about those. Uh, I could, because it's my job. But um, in the interest of time, I've chosen to focus on just one. Um, but in doing so, we must bear in mind that actually you can't just look at these in isolation. You need to consider them um, in the larger context. So to down-select uh, to a sensible topic to fill 15 minutes, um, I considered what it would take for an AI-based solution to be accepted and adopted. Now, not only must it fulfill a useful role, that's kind of your job, um, but those creating and operating the solution need to make sure that it's trusted uh, by those that are going to be using it to fulfill that role. So, in order to do that, firstly, the solution itself needs to be capable of being trusted. So it should be designed using processes which assure its safety and security. Now, we already have rules and uh, procedures to help us do this for other products. We've got international standards, and we've got consumer protection law. But we need to make sure that these are applied in an appropriate way to AI products. For example, providers might want to consider whether it's possible to benchmark the quality of the results obtained from an AI process using results from an already trusted process to develop that trust. I think a key component in developing the trust will be the introduction of a common ethico-legal framework um, for the development, the deployment, and the governance of artificial intelligence and then sticking to that framework. My view appears to be shared, thankfully, by national and supranational governments um, around the world, not just in Europe. But of course, in the modern world, geographical and political boundaries have less meaning, which means that these frameworks not only um, need to be adopted, but also enforced. And they're not going to be effective unless they are universally enforced. So secondly, they need to behave and they need to be used fairly. And these are questions about, <clears throat> sorry, there are questions uh, about whether we should be using AI in certain fields in the public interest. So is it in the public interest for us to be using AI in the political arena, for example? And just look at the media storm that uh, surrounded Cambridge Analytica's use of sophisticated data analytics uh, for targeted political campaigns. The lines between offering, persuading, and manipulating are becoming increasingly blurred. We also need to understand bias in the system. We just, I think there was some uh, talk of bias earlier. Um, bias is inevitable. It's not always a bad thing, but we do need to eliminate it when it's unfair. We need to be careful about the data that we process using AI systems 
and the data that's used to train them. Bias can emerge when data sets uh, inaccurately reflect society or when the data accurately reflects society but an unfair aspect of society. And it's possible, therefore, um, for bias to be built in not only through the data but also by the developer. And one way to address this is, of course, to ensure that our developers are drawn from diverse socio-economic backgrounds and stick to ethical codes of conduct. Then, of course, we come to accountability. So until such time as AI has its own self-interest, um, and there are a whole raft of ethical questions around that in and of itself, but self-interest to avoid negative consequences, it doesn't seem possible to impose punitive sanctions on an AI. On the other hand, it's very natural for individuals like you and I to want to look out for our own safety, security, social standing, freedom, and our bank balance. And so there's a strong argument for saying that actually a person should always remain responsible and accountable for the acts and omissions of the AI. Now, whether that's a natural person or a legal person such as a company depends on the end result and the uh, risk inherent in the context. Of course, to make that effective, we also need to make sure it's always possible to identify who is responsible for the actions of an AI. Now, there are lots of intelligent people in this room, and perhaps one of you will find a solution using blockchain for that. The third point here is around intelligibility. So, if AI is allowed to be viewed as a threat, then no amount of reassurance is going to repair its public image. We've seen it before with GM technology. The first and possibly less obvious aspect of this um, facet, if you like, of trustworthiness is that the AI's machine nature must be transparent. So the first requirement for an AI to be understood is that we must understand that it is an AI. The European Group on Ethics in Science and New Technologies proposes that there should be legal limits on the ways in which people can be led to believe that they are dealing with human beings when in fact they're de dealing with AI. It's easy to see how this can cause issues. For example, if a human unknowingly attributes emotions and creates a false relationship uh, with a machine. In 2016, uh, you may remember in the news, and of course, or we hope you weren't personally affected by the Ashley Madison data breach, we discovered that bots were being used uh, rather uh, interestingly to pose as real, improbably attractive people. Uh, to induce free users of the service to upgrade to a premium subscription. And allegedly around 80% of initial purchases on that site were in order for a human user to respond to a bot. Secondly, the AI itself needs to be understood to an appropriate degree. There is a common fallacy, I think, in many people's understandings of AI, certainly those that aren't... Um, attending events like this, that the process the AI uses in order to come to a conclusion is capable of being understood by humans. That's not going to be the case in all circumstances. And therefore, transparency, I think, needs to be very relative uh, to the system to be described, who it's being described to, and the context of the, uh, the way in which that AI is being used will also be very relevant to how it's described. I'm certain most people 
would want to see more transparency in a system where an AI is being used to diagnose illness as against an AI that's being used to recommend movies. I think we need to consider what is necessary and proportionate in relation to explaining the AI. Otherwise, we risk going too far and impeding technological process if we bog ourselves down in trying to persuade the user that actually all of this technology is safe. When we go to the nth degree in explaining that, it's not going to work. On the other hand, we risk not going far enough and risking a loss of trust when something goes wrong if we didn't explain it so that they were comfortable with it and could make an informed choice. In many cases, the user will be interested in how the process was quality assured, not how it actually works. When employing an electrician, you wouldn't care too much, uh, or at least you wouldn't want to know how they were uh, laying wires and how they were plugging in an appliance. What you would want to know is that they were experienced and they were qualified and that therefore they were going to do it safely. And when an AI is explained, this will probably need to include information on how the data, the test data or the, um, the live, the production data, is going to be quality assured. And we're going to have to be told about the, uh, the value system used by the AI and the editorial thought process uh, that goes into it to allow the system to reach a conclusion. Think about the way we read newspapers as an analogy and how our knowledge of the editorial bias in those papers colors the way that we read them. Now, a few moments ago, I highlighted that two of the five principles currently have regulation uh, which are directly relevant, and it's already been mentioned. So a big round of applause for GDPR, no. Um, but as we're talking about legal issues, we probably ought to uh, touch on it. So this is probably uh, the most relevant, I think, part from the GDPR from the whole GDPR, and it's quite a big document, that is relevant to um, AI. I didn't worry too much about the data processing principles because, you know what, those have been around for 20 years, and actually, you know, we're aware of those, or we should be aware of those, um, and we should be building those in. But actually, this is the one to be uh, thinking about. So, subject to certain restrictions, and there are always caveats, um, but Article 22 of the GDPR requires that data subjects are not to be subject to a decision which is based solely on automated processing which signifi uh, significantly affects him or her. So if you're looking to roll out an AI right now, um, you should definitely remember this. This and the principle of designing systems with data privacy in mind. So I hope that this brief talk has given you some useful food for thought. Um, no doubt, I'm sure there'll be some questions um, and I'm around um, all afternoon in order to have conversations if you want to have a bit more of a one-to-one. -one. Um, I also plan to publish a short um, series of articles covering the ethical and legal issues affecting AI in more depth, uh, in particular covering all five of those heads rather than the one which we've briefly touched on today. Um, and I've also put my contact details and my Twitter handle up on screen uh, for those of you who want to um, take the conversation further. Thank you. Thank you.